Welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, and this is my podcast that's mostly for the parents of children who are being treated for cancer or leukemia, but it's also for anyone else who's interested. Anyway, today I'm doing my fourth episode on the subject of personalized medicine, personalized oncology medicine. And in particular today, I'm going to talk about, finally, how DNA can get messed up and how that can be part of causing cancer. Now, you really have to listen to the first three episodes on personalised medicine to understand what I'm raving on about today. Uh, So make sure you listen to those. But the main thing to remember from those episodes were that we have proteins in our cells, and there's hundreds and thousands of different proteins with all sorts of different jobs. And in particular, the ones that are I guess most important when we're talking about cancer are those proteins that control how fast a cell grows. So whether it divides a lot or whether it doesn't. And those proteins that control a cell's location. So the the proteins that tell a cell to stay in the right place and not to spread to elsewhere in the body and not to invade other tissues. So all of those proteins are very important. And if something goes screwy with them, well, a cell might grow too fast, might spread to other sites in the body, might be invasive and destruction, and they're all the things that we think of when we think of cancer. The other thing to remember was that proteins are made up of amino acids. So amino acids are smaller chemicals, and there's about 20 of them, and one gets joined to another, gets joined to another, gets joined to another, And the exact order and the exact choice of the 20 amino acids determines what sort of protein you end up with. And so that amino acid sequence is the critical thing to working out if a protein is going to work properly or not work or work too much. Then I explained how the DNA in the cell has the recipe to make the proteins properly. And in particular, DNA isn't made up of amino acids. No, DNA is made up of things called bases. And the bases are abbreviated. There's four different types of bases. And they're A, G, T, and C. They're the four bases. And DNA is made of thousands and thousands of these base chemicals joined one to another to another to another. And the exact right sequence and the right order of all of those bases determines the DNA code. And that code is what's used to eventually make the protein. Because the DNA is going to be copied into something called messenger RNA. And then that's going to go to the outside part of the cell. And then the messenger RNA is going to be translated into protein. So the messenger RNA is how the recipe gets to the outside of the cell to tell the cell how to make the protein, how to assemble all of those amino acids in the right order. And the final bit of revision from those episodes is to remind you that those bases in the DNA come in little groups of three in a row. And so you might have, say, CGA or ATC. Right, Three in a row will eventually code 
for one amino acid in the finished protein. So each of those three bases in a row is called one codon, and each codon will code for one amino acid in the finished protein. And so you have to have the right sequence of three to make sure you add the right amino acid to the protein when you go to making the protein. Now, another thing I forgot to mention was that those bases have another name as well. They're also referred to as nucleotides. So the bases are these little chemicals. They get strung together to make DNA, but they're also called nucleotides. So the nucleotides are A, G, T, and C. And sometimes they're called bases and sometimes they're called nucleotides. It all means the same thing. All right, so today I want to explain how DNA can get messed up. And so what I want you to do is think of a cell, and remember that a cell has 46 chromosomes in it. And the chromosomes are basically where the DNA lives. And you have an XY if you're a male, and you have an XX if you're a female. But anyway, let's imagine one of those chromosomes, and let's imagine it as a piece of string. And it's a piece of string that's about, I don't know, 10 kilometers long. All right, so let's lay out that piece of string for about 10 kilometers. Now, start at one end of the string and start walking towards the other end of the string. Now, as you're walking along, let's imagine that the string is white in color. Now, the white areas of the string, they're going to be those parts of DNA that don't actually code for a protein. There's a whole lot of DNA that doesn't actually code for anything, and that's called the non-coding regions, right? The non-coding regions of DNA. Now, they have other important roles. They're very important in other ways, but they don't code for a finished protein. Anyway, keep walking along. Strings white, strings white. And let's imagine now you get to an area where the string is red. And this will be the first gene that we encounter. And so suppose there's a metre or two of red string. Well, now we're talking about a gene, a strip of DNA that does have the recipe to make a protein. So at the start of the strip of red string, this gene, there's going to be the start codon. So a, a triplet of bases that tell the cell start here. And then there'll be all of these bases in a row, these nucleotides, A's, G's, T's and C's, all in a row, all in little triplets of three. And that'll go on and on and on for about, let's say, two metres. And then there'll be a stop codon. So a particular sequence of three that tells the cell this is where the recipe stops. So what should happen is that when that DNA is copied, well, it's copied from the start codon right through the two metres of red string and up to the stop codon, and then that's the RNA that's made, and then that RNA can be used to make a protein. Okay, and then keep walking, and you'll keep walking for another little while, and the string's all white, it's non-coding DNA strands, and then you come to another red string, another area of uh, another gene, Another sequence of DNA, it's got a start codon, it's got a stop codon, and everything in between is the recipe to make a different RNA, and that one will be used to make a different protein. And on it goes. 
lengths of white string that are non-coding, and then a gene with a start and a stop, and the right sequence of bases, and each of those codes for a finished protein. Okay, now let's make this model even a little bit sillier. All right, let's go back to the start of the string again. Now, let's imagine a little group of little green men. And every day, the little green men start at one end of the string, and they walk along and walk along, and then they get to a red area of string, right? They get to a gene, and it's got a start codon, and they say, OK, guys, this is the start codon. This is where we start copying DNA. And the little green men's job is to copy the DNA, make an RNA. Let's call that a yellow string, shall we? The RNA can be a yellow string. We'll make an RNA, and then we'll send it out of the nucleus and into the rest of the cell to make a protein. So that's what the little green men do. They copy the DNA into an RNA and send it out of the nucleus of the cell. So the little green men are the people that do transcription. Copying DNA to RNA is called transcription. The little green men are the cell's transcription machinery. Okay, now at the start codon, or just around the start codon, imagine there's a little purple lady. Now the little purple lady is called the promoter or suppressor. The little purple lady is there to tell the little green men how many copies of the DNA should they make. Should they make just one copy or should they make a thousand copies? And that'll determine how many protein molecules you end up with. So that's the little purple lady's job. Now the little purple lady doesn't just decide this by herself. The little purple lady is talking to the rest of the cell. She's getting messages from elsewhere in the cell. She's getting all sorts of advice. She's getting all sorts of signals that are coming from all sorts of directions and that are all part of her working out how many copies of the DNA should we make into RNA to make the protein. And so our little green men get their instructions from the little purple lady and she says, I want 10 copies of this gene. And so they make 10 copies of RNA into yellow string and send it off to be turned into proteins. All right, then they start walking again and they walk along past a few yards of white string, white string, non-coding. Then they get to another little purple lady and another gene. And this purple lady's got her own instructions for her particular gene. And she says how many copies she wants of the gene. And she's the promoter or the suppressor of the gene. All right, so now let's make it a bit more specific. Now let's imagine that this is a cell that's in the pancreas, the pancreas organ in your abdomen, and it's one of those cells that's meant to make insulin. And insulin is made in higher amounts if the blood sugar level is high, and the insulin gets pumped into the bloodstream, goes around the body, and tells cells to take up glucose from the bloodstream. That's what insulin does. All right, so let's imagine we're in a pancreatic insulin cell. So the little green men start at one end of the string and they walk along. And suppose the first gene that they get to is for a muscle protein, right? All the cells in our body have all the genes for everything, right? But this pancreatic insulin cell, it's got the gene there to make muscle proteins. Now, a pancreatic insulin cell should not make muscle proteins, right? So the little green men get to this point and the little purple lady says, 
Nothing here, guys. I don't want any copies made of this. This is a muscle protein. I was told way back early in embryonic life, never make a muscle protein. Just keep on going. Don't copy this gene. Just keep on going. Okay, then they get to the next gene. And suppose this is the gene to make, I don't know, collagen, right? You know, collagen in your skin. Same deal. Little purple ladies there saying, no, no, I was told, you know, way back in early embryonic life, we don't want to make copies of this in pancreatic cells. So the little green men say, fine, we won't copy this gene either. And they keep going. And now they come to the gene for insulin. All right. This is what pancreatic cells are really meant to be doing. So now they get instructions from the purple lady, the promoter. But this purple lady, like I said, she's getting advice from all over the place, right, in the cell. And in particular, she's getting signals that are telling the cell what's the blood sugar level outside the cell like. So if the blood sugar level is high, then there's some message coming through the cell and getting to the purple lady to say, make more insulin, make more insulin. But if the blood sugar level is low, she's getting a different set of signals that say, don't make insulin, don't make insulin. So she has to take account of all these messages she's getting and then tell the little green men how many copies of the insulin gene to make. And so let's suppose that the blood sugar level's high, the person's just drunk two cans of Coca-Cola, their blood sugar level's quite high. Well, the little purple lady says to the little green men, guys, make a lot of this gene. We need a lot of insulin now. All right, so now a lot of copies of the insulin gene are made into RNA. The RNA leaves the nucleus and is used to make insulin protein, and now the insulin protein can be pumped into the bloodstream, ready to go. Okay, and then the little green men keep going, and they come to the next gene, etc., etc. All right, so now let's talk about all the things that can go wrong in this system and lead to cancer. And in particular, let's imagine that the little green men have walked along the string a bit more, and in particular, let's choose as an example a gene that is for a protein that tells a cell not to divide. Okay, so it's a protein that stops the cell from dividing. So you can imagine if this protein doesn't work, then the cell might divide too much and that might be part of how we end up with cancer. All right, so let's imagine that gene. So the little green men are coming up to that strip of string that's got the gene for this don't divide protein. All right. So the first thing that could go wrong would be that the gene's just completely missing. So at some point when the cell was developing, it just made a mistake somehow and the gene just completely vanished. So that's what you call a gene deletion, a whole gene deletion. And so the little green men come along and there should be a gene there for the don't divide protein and it's just not there. So the protein doesn't get made, and so the cell is missing its don't divide protein. And you can imagine, well, maybe that would make the cell divide too much. So that's called a whole gene deletion. An alternative might be just a partial gene deletion. So the gene might be two metres long on our imaginary piece of string. Well, imagine half of it just got cut off at some point. Some cell mistake was made or some carcinogen did something 
and we ended up missing half the gene. Well, again, we might copy the DNA, but we're only going to get half the protein, and so the protein might not work properly, it might not work at all. Again, the cell loses its don't divide signal. And various lengths of the gene could just be missing. So you don't have to lose the whole gene. You might just lose a critical little area of the gene that somehow has vanished, and then that could lead to a defective protein. So that might be called a gene mutation. So a mutation is some abnormality in the DNA sequence that messes up the finished protein that you're going to get or even completely prevents the formation of the protein. So a deletion of just a certain strip somewhere along the gene. That would be called a DNA mutation. The next thing to talk about is the situation where the full length of the gene is there, but the recipes got mixed up a bit. So remember, you've got to have the right sequence of codons, right? Three, then three, then three, then three. Well, imagine one of those triplets of three, one codon, there's just one mistake made. One base has a mistake in it. Let's suppose instead of having an A, somehow the cell made a mistake and it's got a G. So that would be called a single nucleotide mutation. And you could get a different effect from this. It depends what the mistake that was made was. For instance, it might be that you end up with a codon that now codes for a completely different amino acid in the finished protein. Okay, so imagine it was meant to be a valine amino acid, but because this mistake was made, the codon coded for, I don't know, a tryptophan, all right, a different amino acid. So the protein that you get from this defective gene will have the wrong sequence of amino acids. And that might matter, or it might not. It might mean that the protein doesn't work at all, or it might mean that the protein works pretty much normally because it was in an area of the protein that it didn't matter that much, or it might mean that the protein is way overactive. So it really depends what amino acid you get from this error as to what effect it will have on the finished protein. Like I said, you can get a protein that's too active or completely inactive or not affected at all. Another mistake that might be made would be if the codon that was meant to code for an amino acid got accidentally changed into that stop codon. Remember, there's a particular sequence that tells the cell stop here. Well, if you get a stop signal halfway along the gene because of one mistake, well, the cell will only make half the gene. So that would be called a premature stop codon. Again, being caused by just changing one base in the DNA to the wrong one, and that can lead to this premature stop codon. The next abnormality at the single nucleotide level would be if you just lost one nucleotide, so just one base was missing. Now, the effect of this is what you call a frame shift mutation. So remember, they're meant to be in triplets, right? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Well, if you lose number three in one of them, you can imagine now that it goes one, two, three, one, two, and then one of the next sequence. So now it's going two, three, one, two, three, one. The whole thing is completely out of kilter, and that can totally mess up what protein you get just from losing one base, one nucleotide in the DNA strand. So that's a frame shift mutation. Next abnormality I want to talk about is what you call a translocation. 
So a translocation occurs when one chromosome joins up with another chromosome in the wrong way. So in particular, you might get a gene from one piece of string somehow ending up attached to the gene on another piece of string. That would be called a translocation. So you can imagine now if you've got the gene for insulin and then halfway along the gene for insulin, it attaches to the gene for some other protein. Well, now what you've got is two genes running together and that's what you call a fusion gene. And that fusion gene can end up making a fusion transcript in RNA and then you can end up with a protein that was never meant to exist in the first place. And this protein might just do nothing or it might be completely destructive and cause cancer. So it's all very complicated what you're going to get when you have a translocation and whether you're going to get a fusion gene and whether that's going to cause cancer. But sometimes it does. So there's some examples of the mutations that can occur in DNA and how they can lead to proteins that are either inactive or excessively active or completely normal. And depending on what that protein's normal role is, well, that's going to affect the cell in different ways. But in particular, if it was a protein that was meant to stop the cell from dividing, well, you can imagine if it gets knocked out, well, the cell might divide too fast. Or imagine if it was a protein that has the go signal for a cell. If it's a protein that tells the cell divide, divide, grow, grow, well, if you end up with a protein that's too active, well, again, you might end up with cancer. Or if it's a protein that's meant to keep a cell in the right place, for instance, for a lung cell to stay in the lung and a fat cell to stay in the fat, well, if that cell gets an abnormal protein, well, you can imagine that might be why it can spread to elsewhere in the body, another thing that cancers do. So they're the sort of abnormalities you get in DNA, DNA mutations and deletions, those sorts of things. But now we have to talk about a completely different set of abnormalities that can affect things. And now I'm talking about the purple lady, right? The purple lady, remember, is the one that asks everyone's opinions around the cell and tells the little green men how many copies of a gene to make. You can get abnormalities in the little purple lady and so you can end up with too many or too few copies of a normal gene being made. So the gene can be completely normal. But if the purple lady, the promoter, doesn't send the right signal for how many copies to make, well then you could have a problem. So first off, remember the little purple lady in the muscle cell has been told, don't make insulin. And the little purple lady in the pancreas cell has been told, don't make muscle proteins. Well, if somehow the little purple lady, the promoter, gets messed up in some sort of a way and starts promoting the wrong genes, well, that could be harmful. Or what if she's getting bad advice from the rest of the cell? Imagine that the cell somehow is sending signals to the little purple lady saying, make extra copies of this gene, make extra copies of this gene. Well then, in the same way, you could make too many copies of a protein and that may be destructive. And interestingly, that advice that she's getting, those signals she's getting, could be from a DNA mutation miles away from this particular gene. So there might be a DNA mutation elsewhere on another chromosome leading to a funny protein and that funny protein is telling the promoter 
to make extra copies of the normal gene and then that's all destructive. So it's very, very complicated. Alternatively, the little purple lady could be getting messages telling her to turn a gene off. Something could go wrong with the little purple lady, the promoter. For instance, the promoter might be methylated. When you methylate the promoter, that tends to switch off the gene that that promoter was controlling. So there's a whole bunch of elaborate signals, and if these go wrong and the promoter stops promoting the gene, well, if the gene isn't being transcribed and therefore the protein isn't being made, that might be a way that causes cancer. Next thing to talk about is something called gene amplification. So I talked about how you could have a gene deletion where a gene is just completely missing. Well, another thing that can happen is that you have too many copies of a given gene. You know, suppose you're meant to have two copies of a gene in each cell, one from your mother and one you inherited from your father. In certain situations, for some obscure reason, we get multiple copies of a gene being made and that's called a gene amplification. And if you have extra copies of the gene, well, you might get extra copies of the RNA and then the protein. It's never as simple as that, of course, but that's another abnormality, gene amplification. And so, in particular, you'll hear about amplification of a gene called the NMYC gene. That's capital N hyphen M-Y-C, the NMYC gene in neuroblastoma, so NMYC amplification, and that's an undesirable thing to find in neuroblastoma. It makes for a high-risk case of neuroblastoma. That's gene amplification. Anyway, so they're the main sorts of abnormalities of DNA and DNA control that come to mind. Again, we can completely lose a gene, that's called a gene deletion, or we can have extra copies of a gene, and that's called gene amplification. We can have a mutation in a gene, and so the mutation might mean that we lose a significant piece of it, or we might just lose one base in the DNA code. But depending on the exact mutation and what effect it has on the finished protein, you can end up with a protein that's too active or completely inactive or completely unaffected from a DNA mutation. We can have a translocation that ends up with one gene sort of being stuck next to another one, giving a fusion gene, and that may be a destructive thing. And then we can have a completely normal gene with the exact right DNA structure, but for some reason that gene is being copied too much or too little. So we are either getting too much RNA or too little RNA, and then we end up with too much of the finished protein or too little of the finished protein. And so that means the gene is being overexpressed. That's the term. You talk about gene expression. So overexpressed or underexpressed. And that can be brought on by all sorts of things in the cell, elsewhere in the cell's controls and machinery, all working somehow to change the expression of a gene in a way that's destructive. So in my next episode... I plan to look at different ways that you can test cells to look at the DNA abnormalities and the RNA abnormalities, etc. But for now, I'll also introduce just a couple of other terms for you just to start getting your head around. Okay, first let's go back to our big long piece of string. Now, if you get all of those pieces of string from all of the chromosomes, then all of that DNA is called the genome the whole genome. 
And so if you were to sequence the DNA, that would be called whole genome sequencing. So you'd be sequencing all those white areas of string that don't code for anything, plus you'd be sequencing all the red bits of string, the actual genes. Okay, next, if we just look at all the red bits of all the strings, all the red bits of DNA, all the genes that actually end up getting transcribed and translated into proteins, that's called the exome. So we would do whole exome sequencing if we sequenced all of those genes. And then if we looked at all the RNA in cells and we studied that, then we would be studying the transcriptome. Anyway, I hope all of this is making sense. Uh, Please leave a message at the Facebook page, Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff, if it's not making sense or if it's totally confusing. But otherwise, I'll plan to get on with explaining how we look at all this stuff and whether we should look at all of this stuff. But for now, I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.